The following program is sponsored by the Jelinski Advisory Group, which is solely responsible for its content. Josh Jelinski is the president of Wealth Quarterback, LLC, a registered investment advisory firm located in New Jersey. Registration is not an endorsement of the firm or its representatives by securities regulators, nor is it an indication that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Investment advisory services may only be provided to clients in jurisdictions in which the firm and its representatives are appropriately registered or exempt from registration. You should not assume that any discussion or information contained in this broadcast serves as the receipt of or as a substitute for personalized investment advice from the advisor. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, or product, or any non-investment related content made reference to directly or indirectly in this broadcast will be profitable. Equal any corresponding indicated historical performance level or levels be suitable for your portfolio or individual situation or prove successful. Past performance is not indicative of future result. Investment advisory services offered through Wealth Quarterback LLC. Tired of losing money in the stock market roller coaster? Frustrated with the government taxing you into oblivion? Worried about inflation? How do you prepare for so many financial uncertainties? Welcome to the show that will help you develop your game plan. The Financial Quarterback with Josh Jelinski. Josh is a noted financial advisor and president of the Jelinski Advisory Group. And he's here to answer your questions. Call into the show at 800-321-0710. 800-321-0710. Now, let's kick off your financial future. Here's Josh Jelinski. Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback. And we're being joined by Julie Charlstein, Philadelphia-based business leader and healthcare innovator who serves as a fourth-generation owner of CEO of Premier Dental, just named 2023 Top 10 Most Innovative Company in Wellness by Fast Company. Uh, Premier Dental is a global provider of innovative dental uh, products. So, Julie, uh, describe your background for our listeners. Sure. Uh, I am Julie Charlstein. Thank you for having me. I'm the fourth generation leader at our company's dental uh, innovation business. We are Premier Dental, which is Inspired Solutions for Daily Dentistry, which means that we develop and manufacture innovative consumables for the oral health professional around the world. So I started at our company a, a long time ago, <laughs> um, close to 20 years ago. I came in as a product manager, and then I eventually worked my way up into the role of CEO. I worked outside of the organization for several years, went to business school, and then my father started calling me and asking kind of what I was interested in, what my thoughts were. Um, I started doing research about our business, about our industry, about family business in general. Um, And then I decided to come into the business Um, and again, started as a product manager, manager, then had responsibility for the product management team, went on then to do business development, um, became president and then ultimately CEO. So tell us about your book, How to Lead Your Family Business. What was your inspiration for writing the book? The book, How to Lead Your Family Business, Excelling Through Unexpected Crises, Choices, and Challenges. We all read business books, and um, I take a lot from them. And there's usually, they're usually kind of anchored into things, which is um, a lot of science and data and a lot of experiential learning. I take a lot from from the stories and the information and the execution. Um, So I wrote a book that was relatable, authentic, and actionable. I call it a business book without the science. Um, And the inspiration was really, well, I, I, I don't know that I had any inspiration because I was not setting out ever to write a book. It um, this sounds crazy that it just kind of happened because obviously I wrote it. <laughs> um, but as I was writing, the intent was to translate my experiences to hopefully help others in whatever their situations are. Fantastic. So your fourth generation, does that mean your great great grandmother or father started the business? My great-grandfather started the business, Julius Charlestein, in 1913. We are 110 years old. And was he a dentist? What did he do? He was not a dentist. He was a dental instrument sharpener. 
Um, wow. So dental instruments are actually made still by hand. There's a lot of artistry. He was a dental instrument sharpener. And the story is that he used to walk to and from work. Um, and he noticed that he passed dental offices on the way. So he asked his boss if he could start selling the instruments. And that was the genesis of, of Premier. So you, you hear a lot of companies kind of like bootstraps to bootstraps in so many generations. What do you think accounts for your family's success to kind of keep the family business strong for so many generations? I think foundationally part of it is a, a, a desire. <laughs> you know, there has to be that foundational want to, to um, take this really incredible creation grow, sustain it, shepherd it, steward it, um, and, and create success, not just for the family, but for the employees, for the community. I think foundationally and fundamentally, that is it. Wow. And so what were the evolutions in your family's business? So dental sharpener, and then your grandfather, what did they do with the business? So it seems like you, 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 your business is different than your great grandfather. So maybe that's a tip. Kind of each generation found new, I don't know, inspiration, enlightenment, kind of in the similar <laughs> business path. But I mean, I know I have a family business and kind of I'm, I'm looking for tips. How do, how do I get my kids? I have seven kids, so probably one of them will have some interest in the business. Well, you definitely upped your odds with the numbers, so yeah. I think there's a pretty good chance. I only have two, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a crapshoot. Um, you know, one, one of my favorite quotes actually is from a Gatorade commercial, and it's to start a revolution, the only solution evolve. So in order to have a business in one family with one ownership over come through over decades, over essentially, actually, it needs to happen through evolution. Is there one particular thing that happened in each generation to take it to the next? No. Is there a constant willingness and understanding for the need to evolve, to grow, to change, to have a vision of the under, to have a vision for the future anchored in an understanding of the past? And again, a, a, a willingness, a desire, and a recognition for the need to move the, to move the business forward. And each generation and um, within each generation and time, there are certainly um, inflection points, um, but it's that foundational willingness and desire to move ahead and be successful. Yeah, your book uh, really drew me in. How to Lead Your Family Business so, folks, uh, you can get it. I'll give it away to those of you who call us at 888-988-JOSH. Or where can our listeners uh, find your book? They can find it on Amazon or they can find it on my website, which is juliecharlestein.com. Just how it sounds. Julie <laughs> Charlestein, C-H-A-R-L-E-S-T-E-I-N.com. Yeah. And I like going there because Amazon, they never give you the data of your own book. When I wrote right. a book, it was... <laughs> That's true. I had thousands of people buy my book and you have no way to reach out to them when it's on Amazon. So that's, that's, that's always true. plug juliecharlestein.com. So anyway, Thank how to lead you. your family business, excelling through unexpected crises, choices, and challenges. So let me be selfish for a second. So one of my seven kids wants to take my business. I had another guy who left me really good advice, but I don't know if I agree with that so much. He was a part of a family business and he was big on, he works with us. His name is George. He works for a company. He, he ran like a family, I want to say a restaurant chain. He was from kind of the restaurant business. And he said, there's a lot of pressure on one kid typically to take over the business. And you kind of want to take the pressure off of that kid. Others say, hey, do something for somebody else for a few years and then come back. Any tips? So little Josh wants to take over my company. The oldest girls don't seem to have any interest, by the way. So, you know, there's no, we're not that we're really pressuring anybody, but I think my third born and my fourth born seem to like, yeah, unless I'm going to be a baseball player or a soccer player, I want to work for you, dad, because we're just like best buddies. And so that kind of naturally... Um, so George said, you know, don't put pressure on that kid to take over the business. Kind of tell him, hey, it's okay to do something else. Um, but I don't know if that really, like, helps anything. 
Um, and then other people have said, hey, go work for somebody else for a year or two so you don't develop that sense of entitlement. Any like tactical tips? But then part of me thinks like in my 20s, I learned so much about business and life because I worked like 20 hours a day at my craft. I didn't, you know, go to bars. I didn't hang out late at night. I just studied and really honed the craft. So to me, that 20 to 30 period that a lot of people squander in kind of what you're saying, hey, give that child from 20 to 30 opportunity to almost have a business within a business. Like here, kind of, here's your laboratory. Go make things, go create, but sort of not have any pressure of running the business. So I don't know, any, any thoughts on that? Well, I think it's wonderful that you have two children that want to join you and have that closeness of relationship that, that want to do that with you. So that's really, really amazing. Um, for, for me, it was important to work outside. Well, I had no intention of coming into the business, not because it was something I was opposed to. It was just not something that I was interested in. When I decided um, to come into the business, it was important to me to have worked outside, to have gone to graduate school, not because my, I was worried about having a sense of entitlement or my father was worried about my having a sense of entitlement. My concern was that others would think I had a sense of entitlement. So it was very important for me to do those things for, firstly, so that it wasn't perceived that I only got this job because of nepotism. And look, nep someone just asked me, how do you avoid nepotism? You don't, it's just a fact. I am my father's daughter, that's it. <laughs> um, so it was important to me to be able to combat that as much as possible. Um, and that I did through, again, working outside, going to school, and when I came in, working very hard and very diligently because I did not, I wanted um, people not just in our organization, but in the industry overall to recognize my level of capability. And did you feel any pressure from your father to run the business? No. Because you hear that a lot. And I have another business friend of mine, very successful business. He's like, I don't want my kid in my business. You know, my business is a failing business. So, uh, which is kind of interesting. So uh, that's interesting. What other tips do you think your father imparted to you that enabled you to succeed? Or evolve? My father was very good about doing what you're saying, you know, some people do do. He did not put pressure on to join the business. Once I was in the business, he was not pressuring me to be in certain areas of the business. Um, he very much allowed things to happen organically. Um, and that, that was very, uh, positive for me. I don't, I, I didn't look at it as, okay, this is what my father wants. So I want to do it. It allowed me to, uh, develop a love and excitement for the business on my own. And that then in turn, uh, drove me to want to do it well and to succeed. Fantastic. Family businesses account for 64% of us GDP and account for 78% of all new job creation. That's a stat that's often overlooked. Are you, uh, you want to comment on that for a little bit? Yeah, people don't, people don't realize, people just don't realize that. <laughs> um, and it just shows that family businesses are the fabric of this country when it when you know, in terms of business, commerce, industry, and from all levels, from enormous, enormous companies down to um, mom and pop. And, you know, people within the, the economy that are, you know, that means that most of the people in the economy are also working in these types of businesses. And we've been very successful in, um, creating amazing leadership teams from people that are coming from enormous public companies that want the opportunity to come and work at a family business, um, to, to have the opportunity to really move an entire organization forward. Apparently only 3% of family businesses are fourth generation or longer. So congratulations. Why do you think that is? 
you know, there are many companies that aren't even family businesses that don't <laughs> that don't last for however, you know, what's what's three generations, you know, 75 years. Running businesses is hard. You know, being able to have vision and strategy and directives and appropriate financing and all of that stuff, running a business is hard. And then when you layer in family dynamics and unique situations, it creates um, more exponential uh, challenges. Wonderful. And folks, uh, Julie Charlstein, you can go to juliecharlstein.com and uh, buy the book, How to Lead Your Family Business, Excelling Through Unexpected Crisis, Choices and Challenges. Julie Charlstein, helping you with all of your family business challenges Get the book, juliecharlstein.com, or call my office today, 888-988-JOSH. We'll buy the book for you for free, 888-988-JOSH. I also think for some reason, maybe it's nepotism. I think of, for some, you know, you think of Donald Trump, you know, Ivanka's in the business. Donald's in the business, or Don Jr., what, what's the other one? Uh, Eric, they were all in the family business. And that was looked at with some respect. I know, you know, from a political standpoint, they were like, oh, this kid got this. I I do think when for some reason you're in a family business, the the first generation business owners, so that's me or other people listening, they almost view the family business as like, oh, this is a lot of stress. Oh, this is a lot of whatever, you know, so I don't want my kid to do that. I want my kid to go to school, get a job, be a doctor, a lawyer, a professional, because I was, a, you know, I was sort of a slave to the business rather than kind of what you're saying, evolve, become more professional, become um, kind of grow with the times. So I think, okay, financial planning, uh, being a registered investment advisor, we're going to evolve. You know, I'm like thinking, okay, maybe I have my kid become an AI specialist, you know, or or, you know, programmer, things that could kind of take the business to another level. And I think a lot of people just don't have, you know, maybe it's like limiting beliefs. Maybe it's the stigma of family business. Like even when I love family businesses and when you think about it, you know, you don't think that 60, whatever that stat is, unless preparing for the interview, I would not have thought that 64% of the U.S. GDP is due to family business and 78% of all new job creation. That That's just staggering. So I think in some ways, the business, the primary business owner, so your great-great-grandfather maybe became a small business owner out of necessity. So then that second generation wants their kid to be in the professional class or something or pave their own way. And I sort of think that that's almost a Western concept of independence, where when I think of the Chinese and they have these hundred year plans, I don't know. I, I, I've heard that, you know, we think quarter by quarter, maybe they do or maybe they don't. Maybe it's a stereotype, but I've heard the Chinese think in hundred year increments. And I think, you know, that's kind of cool to think of your family business in hundred year increments. And how would you lead it to be? its own entity, you know, how much freedom are you going to give as you evolve and grow and, you know, train your replacements. Um, and a lot of it seems to be psychological, right? Like it, it seems that there's so much psychological baggage. You want to comment on that? Well, you know, a lot of what you're talking about is parenting, right? <laughs> you know, there, a lot of times there are things that I want my kids to do and achieve and become and might not happen. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, so a lot of that is around, um, a lot of that is around parenting and, 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 and stigmas. And, you know, you were talking about nepotism. I don't know anything about the Trump organization or the Trump children. What I do know is that Ivanka went to Wharton. So, you know, this is obviously a very capable, um, bright, person that's running a business and has, you know, the, the education to do it. So, you know, just to say that people are in their roles because of who their parents are, I think is very limiting and often myopic. And I think is also why there's not an understanding that so many businesses in this country are family businesses, because there are those, you know, stereotypical thoughts. 
in terms of this hundred year thinking, a lot of it is around what role do we want this business to play? What role do we want this family to play? Are they interconnected? Do we envision this going on indefinitely? Um, and these are, you know, familial discussions that happen. Um, they also happen at non-family businesses. You know, that's you know, what's our mission? What are we going to be to be doing? And um, when there is that that resolve around it, then the execution follows. I think what you're just making me think about is it seems to be a very Western U.S. concept, and maybe this is hurting family business, of kind of it is nepotism rather than it's a gift. I mean, my mom and my mother and father always looked at family businesses in town like that was the um, you've arrived. You know, your kids can work with you. Um, and, and maybe it was, you know, the people who we, we kind of fell on hard times and family businesses kind of helped us when my father was bedridden and couldn't provide for our family. So her family entrepreneur that she owned, you know, the guy helped us out. He bought us Christmas one year and, and really blessed our family immensely. And my mother probably made, I don't know, close to minimum wage, but she, she was very grateful for that. So I kind of looked at, oh, this would be a cool thing. But I think programming-wise, in the U.S., it's nepotism. It's not legacy. It's almost like a spiritual, psychological, like you said, parenting conversation about, like, this is this enormous gift. So, like, for my kids, I'm kind of blessed because it's seven kids. Two kids, I think it's going to be a lot harder to pass that on. It's just numbers, right? But I think of my oldest, if I only had one child— she wants to be a writer or, or a lawyer. That's kind of her two tracks. She just, that's what she'll, she's been since like five. It's just, she's always written books and things. You know, and I think sometimes, okay, well, if she was the only heir, there'd be a lot of pressure to maintain that. And I think it is the freedom to say, hey, you know, do your thing, go to law school, write books. If you want to come back, you can. And that uh, takes a big person. So, yeah, it, it's interesting. You know, family business seems to be more psychology, parenting, outlook than even business sense. Because I know some business owners, they're like, I don't want my kid to have the slaving life that I have. And they're doing well without me. So let them let be uh, an executive for some big company. So you talk about reshaping generations old company cultures. Talk about that in your book. Sure. Um, culture is such a buzzword now with, with business and, um, you know, with, with premier. And I think many of these legacy businesses, culture was a thing before culture was a thing, uh, because you don't get to be 110 years old or a hundred years old or 75 years old without having that understanding that culture is very, very important. Um, even if you, at the time, you know, a hundred years ago, wasn't referred to as culture. Um, it was an understanding that an environment a feeling um, was necessary in order to um, shepherd and continue a business forward. Uh, so it's not necessarily reshaping a culture. Sometimes that is very important. Um, in our situation, it was the bolstering of the culture and the and the incorporation of personal elements. So we had an amazing culture. I also happen to like to have fun. I'm a fun person. Um, so we injected a little bit of fun also into, into the culture. Um, but it's a basic understanding of who we are, what values are important to us, and how those will be um, communicated, inculcated, and, and delivered through what this organization or this company does. How do you, uh, how do you have fun as a company? Like what's your <laughs> fun and what's your company's culture? Um, so fun, fun is, you know, done in any number of ways. It's first of all, it's just in how we communicate or I communicate. The work that we do is very, very important. We develop and manufacture innovative consumables, as I said, for the oral health professional around the world. So we are helping 
people feel better. We're taking pain away. We're making them look better. We're giving them more confidence. That's very, very important work. So to be able to constantly recognize that we're doing that. And whenever we talk about that, we just talk about it with such pride and really elation and happiness. And that in and of itself creates a sense of, of fun. We do fun things, you know, at every leadership meeting, it doesn't just start quickly going into the meeting. It starts with a fun question of the day. So, you know, even though we've, some of us have known each other for a long time, we get to know each other a little bit better. Um, when we're, you know, different corporate locations, we have pizza trucks. Um, when we do industry events, we don't do, you know, a normal lunch. We'll do a top chef competition. Um, just things that, that allow us to, um, live our lives within business as people. So talk about the success of the book. I mean, I don't know how I found your book. We're a financial show. And I don't know, I read some article and I was like, oh, this, this woman's resonating with me as somebody who leads a family business. I was thinking, okay, a lot of our, a lot of our clients own businesses. They're entrepreneurs. They're sort of the middle-class millionaire that they talk about in the book. You know, the, the basic people, they who live frugally and then they just kind of fell into wealth by having a business. Um, you know, and then I don't know, I saw it picked up in some article. So how do you build, like how many meetings do you have? Are you a meeting person? Like, I don't in, like in, business in, meetings. In my, I hate, in my business life. Yeah. Yeah. So I hate <laughs> one of our company cultures is I hire self managing employees and we just like to work and we'll talk periodically so our culture is, you know, we're, we're, we're worker bees, you know, and if we get, you know, um, but I get from you, you do meetings. How do you do meetings uh, that build that culture? <laughs> we, we, we do, um, we do meetings. I'm similar to you in that um, I, I like a team that can, is very much self-motivated. Um, they do, they know their roles and, and much better than I can. That's why I hired them. I provide the, the vision and the direction and they are able to elevate that and execute on it. Um, meetings are also important within that. Uh, so our process is very important to us and our strategy is very important to us. Um, and that's, you know, when, when meetings take place and of course also when in one-on-ones. So how many meetings do you do? A week. We have a one designated meeting a week with a specific team, which is our um, NEOS meeting, um, and that has many different people. And then, depending on on what's going on, we'll have other meetings. I'll have other meetings. I don't know. It's a very fluid thing. And then we have certain, you know, we have strategy meetings every six weeks and KPI meetings every six weeks. Um, but on a daily, weekly basis, it's it's very fluid. <laughs> now, do you find Family businesses where will and trust was not in place are ones that go through turmoil more often when succession happens. Like, is there tactically, um, do you leave, uh, yeah. Talk about wills, trust, estate planning, since we're a financial planning show, what, um, what was done, you know, if you don't mind sharing, you know, things that your family did, things that you've done in research for the book. Um, there's been different things I've heard of, Okay, if you have kids who are not interested in the business, you know, buy them life insurance. Leave them your other assets. Give the kid who's interested in the business the business, but or some type of asset equalization thing. But you don't want like four kids running the business necessarily who have no interest and then they tear the business apart. What you're saying is is very reflective of reality in that there are many different possibilities on on how to um, either create equity if that's what's important, or ensure that there are opportunities for for everyone. Um, there is not one size fits all. There are many different things that can be done, and I think actually having advisors is very very important in in this situation. Lawyers, family business consultants. Um, financial advisors, um, people that are going to be able to bring outside perspective and experience um, to help to mold the appropriate um, structures for, for your family, you know, governance and documentation and, 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 and 
all that legal uh, history and and projection is very important. Do you think openness, like were your parents open about the business or were they more private with the kids? There was an openness in terms of we have this amazing business. Um, it was not something that was always talked about in in great detail when you're talking about kind of levels of roles or responsibilities or finance or things like that. Our family was different in that in in that way. Again, there's a saying, if you've seen one family business, you've seen one family business. Um, so structures are all different. Communication styles are all different. Um, but I think fundamentally to get from one generation to the next, um, corporate governance, family governance, and, and legal um, structure and documentation are, are essential. This is Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback, and we're being joined by Julie Charlstein, Philadelphia-based business leader and healthcare innovator, helping you with all of your family business challenges. Get the book, juliecharlstein.com, or call my office today, 888-988-JOSH. We'll buy the book for you for free, 888-988-JOSH. This is Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback. Don't touch that dial. Tune in to the financial quarterback, Josh Jelinski, of the Jelinski Advisory Group this weekend and learn how to protect your financial future during these turbulent times. Looking to lower your taxes or need help securing your financial future? Then Josh and his team are the people for you. They're experts in financial economics with one mission in mind, to protect you and your investments. From their 27-point checklist to their one of a kind financial quarterback approach, they help you achieve financial health and guide you through the hard times of high inflation, looming recessions, and stock market meltdown. For financial security, call them now, 888-988-5674, and get your free copy of Josh's book, The Retirement Reality Check. Maybe it seems like prices can't get much higher, or that the stock market is headed for bear territory, or maybe you're worried about another great recession. Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback, can help you protect your family's financial future in times like these. Tune in this weekend to the financial quarterback to hear how Josh and his team can help you decrease your tax liability and lower your risk. Call 888-988-5674 to take advantage of Josh's 27-point plan to achieve financial health. And when you call, you'll receive a free copy of Josh's book, Retirement Reality Check. Tune in every weekend to the financial quarterback and call 888-988-5674 to receive your free copy of Retirement Reality Check. How many, I don't know if you did this, that how many family businesses have something in place versus nothing? I don't know the answer to that. I'm, well, I've heard there's this guy on the line. I don't know, you know, if he's trying to sell people. But, um, you know, these Instagram guys, there's this guy going around. Basically, he's finding an opportunity. I, I don't, he's almost building a private equity firm where he's taking wealthy people's money. <laughs> And he's buying out every small business in the country that he can because mm -hmm. he's seeing that they don't have family governance in place. They don't have structures. They don't have, they didn't do the financial planning work, the legal work, the tax work. So they had pretty much no plan. So they come around, you know, kind of like the greatest wealth transfer in history. It's happening with family businesses. So the dry cleaners, the auto repair people, the dentist, the plumber, you know, name it, you know, you name us, insert family business. And those uh, companies are selling for fractions of what they might be worth. But because no one will, let's say, give money to Joe the plumber in, you know, I don't know, Doylestown, Pennsylvania, they know what that's worth. So they give the family whatever, let's say 500 grand but it's a business that might have a $2 million valuation if it was run properly, but it's not run properly because they have no structure in place if the patriarch or matriarch dies. So it's kind of an interesting thing. I don't know if you, you have any comments on that. Entrepreneurialism uh, is, is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there are opportunities everywhere. So if there is a business that was poorly run and someone is seeking to, to buy it and then, um, 
put them all together, amalgamate them and make something bigger and sell it. I think that's amazing. Um, Are there many people who don't know how to run their businesses? Yes. Are there a lot of people who do know how to run their businesses, but still want to sell them or want investors? Yes. They're just all different structures and opportunities. So the big point is you don't get too much into tactics, wills, trusts. Your big point is get a plan, tax, legal, financial, you know, corporate governance documents. Do you have any tactical tips or not really on that? And that's okay. In terms of like, in terms of like what types of trusts to set up? Yeah. Because I've heard that some, yeah, well, some, for example, uh, Family businesses hate trust because they found that, okay, the second generation, they then have to deal with the trustee and the bank. Some people love them. You know, everybody has their own little, you know, thing that they like or don't like. Any Anything for you that you found really worked well or didn't work well? That's why, again, I think it's very important to get a lawyer and an advisor that you trust and that understands what your goals are. Because what you're saying is very true. Some people, you know, even though trusts obviously offer a lot of protection, someone might see a downside of needing to deal with the trustee. Um, and there are, you know, so many new mechanisms that are constantly um, being being presented that, that you need um, these advisors that know what all of these offerings are to be able to give you guidance. In your opinion, what are the biggest points of friction kind of in this inheritance question when decisions are made as to who will inherit the family business? So pretend you're my business coach (laughs) and we have seven kids. So we have seven kids, two express interest, five don't. What are points of friction that could come up and how would you solve that? Points of friction can be, okay, well, the two that are interested, they're the ones that should own the business. Okay, but maybe they shouldn't. Maybe they can, um, everyone can own the business, but those two can have the vote. There are so many solutions. Um, There are so many problems and there are so many solutions, but it's not just like, okay, these are the two that are interested in the business. So, you know, Emily and Brad are going to have the business and that's it. There is a totality of, of the family there's a totality of opportunity and it, it needs to be looked at globally so that it can be dissected and, and created um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a very small way yeah, no, to and meet that's, the need. And yeah, and there is a lot of things. I mean, you, you don't know how many people I talk to. They don't even have a plan. They don't have, I mean, folks, just get something. You know, you could have a family LLC, like kind of what you're talking about. Voting interest is different than equity and so that the kids get who aren't involved get checks maybe as part of their inheritance or, you know, to me, you know, that's a big benefit of life insurance. You could equalize the estate that way and then the kids who aren't involved uh, just get a life insurance policy to equal, you know, you have a proper business valuation, then they're not, you know, then they don't think they're getting screwed. It does seem that more and more clients I have equalization, um, you know, you know, if you have four kids, leave it a fourth, a fourth, a fourth is sort of like the end result that people want. Although I've heard some people who've been enormously successful in passing on family businesses, uh, help like the Marriott organization and things like that. They do like pot trusts. So in, in the fact that the family's all working together off of one pot or one business, and then the kids who aren't interested, they're still, it's kind of all for one, one for all. They're just getting a check of one-fourth of, you know, kind of the owner's share. And then the kids who are running it get an owner's share, and they get sort of an employee share. So there's a lot of, you know, and your book kind of, it, it, it may not be about the tactics, right? But it does help you kind of think through what the tactics could be. Now, would you say people don't realize just how big a role small family businesses play in the American economy and at large? I think people either think that it's either small business or very large business. I don't think that people think that there's a swath of businesses really in the middle um, that are that are generating what the the uh, statistic that you said, such a large portion of the of the GDP. I think it's um, really stereotyped in that it's either these enormous, enormous, enormous companies or small mom and pops. 
What are the learning lessons for other businesses from family businesses, either your own or ones you've studied in preparation for the book? What are your top three lessons that you haven't shared so far? I'm not sure who who said this, but um, it is one of something that I try to remind myself of all the time is that pressure is a privilege. Um, and, you know, having this business, you were talking about it before, nepotism and entitlement. And look, being in a leader, being a CEO of a company, there is a lot of pressure, but it is an absolute privilege to be able to be in that role. Um, and that's something that that for me is important to to always remember that again unexpected crises choices and challenges they arise all of the time um but the fact that there is this incredible business is a true privilege and a blessing to be able to to lead it and grow it and evolve it yeah it's a gift it's a privilege so and then uh two other ones okay two other two other tips like leadership tips um so one one thing is this is uh I, for me probably family business specific which is uh resentment sucks i think that's a a, a heading in in my book um resentment sucks i forget who said this but uh resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die so it's very important to, um, in these business situations for me to understand them. And then when possible, and it's very challenging, uh, where there's an issue that is not exactly happening the way that I want to let it go. And the third tip. So resentment sucks. Business is a privilege. <laughs> oh yeah. Before we go to the third, how do you guard against resentment? Who's resenting who? Like oh, the kid is resenting their father. The father, I guess it's both. The father's resenting you, maybe. No offense. You might have a great father. Um, I do. <laughs> but you know what? You could, that's another thing. You could have a great father, and you could have tension in the business, and then have the most wonderful time outside of the business. So the, I guess there are things to guard. How do you guard against the resentment? You know, how do you separate business from family, or, do you, or can't you? It's a, it's a challenge, you know, compartmentalization is, is an art, um, and, and just got to keep trying to get there <laughs> because there always will be conflict. The question is whether or not you take it to a level of resentment. And I think from my experience, you know, what little experience I had, you know, I remember, uh, you know, my mother used to work with me. We gave her a job in her older age, uh, working with, and I said, mom, I don't want to hear about the business. I, I want to have fun with you, you know, <laughs> and she would always want to talk about the business. I'm like, you know, this is great. I just want to have fun. Like, I don't, you know, let's do, <laughs> you know, let's, uh, but she didn't own a family business. Like that wasn't her. So she was taking things personally or taking, and that was great. You want that. And then I found with some family members, some family members shouldn't work with each other and some should, you know, it's just a, you know, their husbands and wives, some can work together. Most cannot, you know, there's, mm -hmm. there's other, uh, there's other things to keep separate. Okay. So resentment sucks. Uh, privilege. It's a privilege. It's a gift family business. And the third thing, third best lesson. Um, I, I, my, I, in, 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 in my mind, in my opinion, there is no such thing as, um, as work-life balance. That's good. So comment on that. <laughs> Meaning Come you're always um, working. Are you so like um, one thing like, does that mean like you're working all the time? I mean, you're always on. I'm kind of always on. So I get it. Um, I, yeah, I don't know if work life balance exists. I, I do think what you can do is have work binge for 40 weeks, but then for 12 <laughs> weeks, you have to like disc at least be with your family and kind of disconnect. You're still going to be on mentally. So that's what I've done where I, I just won't, I won't go to my physical location. I won't meet with clients. I'll kind of work on the business and I'll work on my family. I don't know. I'm, uh, it's just a tip, kind of a thought. What about you? What do you think? There's a, uh, there's, there's a story in my book 
my husband and I were on vacation um, and I was working um, and I, you know, was like apologizing to my husband. Oh, I know I really, you know, I shouldn't be working and this is so horrible and I should just be like, you know, completely uh, not, not doing anything. And he said, no, that's not true. I was like, what? <laughs> Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? Like completely, completely unplug. And he said, you know, you, you have an important job. Uh, sometimes you're going to have to do things. You know, that last phone call did, that you had, it didn't sound like that critical. Um, but you know, you're always going to have to, um, you're always going to have to be, working in a way. Um, that doesn't mean that it's not very important to disconnect and everything like that. But just for me, I do not think that, you know, this modern concept of work-life balance and, and having it all is true. You cannot have it all, have it at the same time, be good at everything all at once. You just can't. One day I'll be an amazing CEO. The next day I'll be a great mother. And the next day I'll be a great wife. I'm not great at all of those things in one day. You know, I also think you build things in. So for, for example, when my kids, I don't know, they're, they're really into baseball and soccer now. And the first so many years of them being young, the first few, I couldn't be as present. It was just, you know, my wife held down the fort at home and I, you know, would work. I don't know. 12, 20 hours a day, whatever it needed to do. And sometimes businesses, you know, they're like living, breathing organisms. So you need to kind of sometimes attend to things after hours. So what I, I think like periodization. So for me, you know, okay, from five to nine is my kid and wife and family time. And I can work nine o'clock at night to 2 a.m. if it has to. And then I'll you know, work the next morning and the rest of the day. But, you know, I think chunking your time, like, okay, this time I'm not going to bring the phone. This time I'm going to pour myself in. Or for, for us, when we go away on vacation, the time without, you know, my wife and I surf. So that's a nice time where you're kind of not thinking about the business. Some people golf, you know, having hobbies, having little things you do to kind of disengage. So, you're sort of always on as a business owner. So that's, that's good. Yeah. I don't believe in the work-life balance. I think that's kind of, I think it's kind of a people who write books who never really ran a business. You know, if you have so much work-life balance, your, your, your business may not exist in 20 years. So right. there, there are things there because somebody will always sort of come up and try to be better. Right. And try to innovate. And they'll, they'll work that extra mile. So, so I agree with that. Now, any tips for how to have a healthy transfer of ownership among family-owned businesses that we haven't covered? Any tips on creating a succession plan? Overarchingly, a lot of it has to do with respect. We talked about all the other things, you know, you need there, there, there needs to be legal, there needs to be governance, all of that stuff, but there needs to be a willingness to listen and to have um, respect for each other and for the organization. Julie Charlstein, helping you with all of your family business challenges. Get the book, juliecharlstein.com, or call my office today, 888-988-JOSH. We'll buy the book. So give us a call now, 888-988-JOSH, 888-988-5674. Two more questions how to avoid fighting or litigation. You hear that from families. That'd be horrible. Uh, I guess legal documents are one side. Um, any other tips to avoid litigation among family or fighting? Anyone can sue anyone at any time for anything. <laughs> um, so I think, I think um, clarity, clarity is very important. Um, in terms of clarity around roles and clarity around purpose um, and and communication. Once there is the, the clarity and the understanding and the documentation, um, the, it can hopefully ameliorate the, the potential. But it, it's very easy to have happen. And this is a business question, non-related. Uh, yeah. Dental products. Mm -hmm. It says, you may not know our name, but we've probably been in your mouth. Yes. Uh, what is one thing that's been in my mouth that I would know? That you would know? That I would remember. 
Yeah, from a from going to the <laughs> dentist. Um, so uh, the, the types of products um, that you that you have been in your mouth that you might remember because they happen all the time. So when you go to the dentist, um, there they'll often check your teeth for for gum health and 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 pocket depth. So we have a specific instrument okay. that 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 does that. If you have um, had a crown that was put on, we have a unique. Um, smart material that aids in the hemostasis and retraction of, of your gums. If you, if your hygienist polishes your your teeth, she may have used our profi paste, the polishing paste, or she may have used our uh, hand piece to do that, or our angle. Um, if you had something cemented in your mouth, it could be glued in with with one of our our cements. So. Any number of things could have been used or could still be in your mouth. <laughs> Wonderful. And folks, uh, Julie Charlstein, you can go to juliecharlstein.com and uh, buy the book, How to Lead Your Family Business, Excelling Through Unexpected Crisis, Choices and Challenge, Challenges. Julie Charlstein, helping you with all of your family business challenges Get the book, juliecharlstein.com, or call my office today, 888-988-JOSH. We'll buy the book for you for free, 888-988-JOSH. Any uh, parting thoughts for our listeners, things we didn't talk about that you want to talk about as we conclude? I, I, I appreciate the, the conversation, and um, it's you know a wonderful opportunity, and as we said, gift to be able to, when, to, be able to work with your family and and really create an entity that is helping not just your family but the community and you know potentially the the world thank you so much julie charlstein juliecharlstein.com that's the name charles and steen c-h-a-r-l-e-s-t-e-i-n just like how Correct. it sounds, juliecharlstein.com. <laughs> how to lead your family business. And a great book, Wall Street Journal bestseller. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Have a great time. The preceding program was sponsored by the Jelensky Advisory Group. Any awards, rankings, or recognition by unaffiliated third parties or publications, including five-star wealth manager, advisory of the year finalist by senior market advisor, and top of the million-dollar roundtable are in no way indicative of the advisor's future performance or any individual client's investment success. No award, ranking, or recognition should be construed as a current or past endorsement of Josh Jelinski or Wealth Quarterback, LLC. Information regarding specific awards, rankings, or recognitions is available on the Wealth Quarterback website at Jelinski.org. All investments Strategies have the potential for profit or loss. Investment strategies such as asset allocation, diversification, or rebalancing do not assure or guarantee better performance and cannot eliminate the risk of investment losses. There are no guarantees that a portfolio employing these or any other strategy will outperform a portfolio that does not engage in such strategies. This broadcast should not be construed by any client or prospective client as a solicitation to affect or attempt to affect transactions and securities or the rendering of personalized investment advice. Due to various factors, including including changing market conditions, the information discussed in this broadcast may no longer be reflective of current positions or recommendations. While information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, Josh Jelinski and Wealth Quarterback do not guarantee its accuracy, and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed. The tax and estate planning information discussed is general in nature, is provided for informational purposes only, and should not be construed as legal or tax advice. Listeners should consult an attorney or tax professional regarding their specific legal or tax situation. Investment advisory services offered through Wealth Quarterback, LLC.